Welcome to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. At Evolution NHS, we are committed to helping people and NHS organisations realise their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing business easier. We collaborate with NHS organisations to help them build high-performing digital teams. We achieve this by creating and sharing insights into the ever-evolving NHS and digital industries best practices. I am Ellie from Evolution Recruitment Solutions and today I am your host. Today I am joined by Sam Neville, CNIO at Mid and South Essex NHS Foundation Trust and Olivia Lai, Fellow in Cornea and External Eye Disease at Moorfields Eye Hospital. The views expressed by guests are, are their own and do not necessarily reflect official position or policy of their organisation. So Olivia, if you could just introduce yourself for us, please. Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Olivia Lee and um, I'm currently a uh, cornea fellow, ophthalmology uh, fellow at uh, Moorfields Eye Hospital, where I'm also um, honorary uh, digital uh, research fellow. So I'm quite active in the research side of things. My research interests focus on uh, digital innovation, in particular how we can use real-world data to influence the quality and the safety um, of the patients that we treat. And I have a, there are specific disease areas that I'm interested in, but um, but my but the in general, it's just been a very exciting time to be uh, in the digital arena. Perfect. Thank you very much, Olivia. Um, and then Sam, if you could introduce yourself, please. Hi, yeah, I'm Sam Neville. I'm a Chief Nurse and Information Officer at MSE, FT and Eastern Region and also Clinical Safety Officer for MSE. So um, what I came into digital by default, <laughs> implementing projects as you do, um, but then realised the potential. So there's loads of data. I agree with you, Olivia. There's loads of data that we can use for preventative medicine, being proactive rather than um, knee-jerk creations that we do. So it's using the data from the systems that we implement to make those changes to patient care to make it safer and better that I keep looking at at the moment. Perfect. Thank you very much. Um, okay, fantastic. So we'll get straight in with the questions. Um, so Olivia, you would like to talk about how we can make more use of real world data and big data to help inform clinical practice. Um, so if you could just give us a bit of context as to why you want to discuss that and then we'll, uh, well, you can discuss them amongst yourselves. Sure. Um, thanks. So, I mean, this is really an exciting area for me and there is really so much to consider. Um, we, the, the, the reason is that uh, with the advent of uh, electronic health records, with the uh, the increasing uh, amount of data that we gather through imaging, the variety, the quantity, the velocity with which we're collecting data has grown exponentially over the years. But in addition to that, the processing power of the data has also grown exponentially. So all of a sudden, from at the beginning of my career where I was sitting down with a pile of notes, you know, manually looking through to do my annual audit, um, to now where I click a click a button and it you know it tells me um, my post-operative outcomes, my complication rates and all of a sudden you know that has uh, really changed um, the way that we we uh, clinicians work. It, you know it's vast savings in terms of time. And um, what's also very important is that it's a- able to give us real-time um, 
up-to-date uh, summarized data, which is not something that what we would have been able to get um, even a few years ago from uh, previously. Um, and the other thing that really struck me was that um, has been the fact that this is able to inform our clinical practice in a way that's more in a way that's quicker than uh, than traditional uh, clinical trials in randomized control trials, for example. And uh, that's not to say that you know there's no place for randomized control trials. Of course there is. Um, but those studies cost a lot of money. They take a lot of time, and there are actually many more useful questions, simple questions, maybe that don't require the rigors of a, a trial for us to answer that we that we already have the date the answer for. But it's just hidden within the data, and um, and we're not making the most of it. There's so much out there that we're not making use of. Um, additionally, I feel that it's important for everyone within the healthcare system to understand the potentials here. Because we're all responsible for um, making the most of that, doing the best that we can for our patients, and also getting the most efficient system that we can. But we can't do that with poor quality data. And so many of us are involved in the collection of this data. And, um, you know, there's that old saying, garbage in, garbage out. And, and that still applies. That applies, you know, to real world data, it applies to AI. Um, you can't have an algorithm. You can have a really fancy AI algorithm, but actually if you feed it poor quality data, it's going to give you rubbish out. And so so those are I think those are large big themes. Um, and I can you know talk about some examples that I've been working on, but I would really love to hear Sam's uh, view on this. Go ahead, Sam. Yeah, thanks, Olivia. Um, I, I was nodding vigorously with everything you were saying <laughs> there, to be honest. Um, my issue with the data is sometimes we can't get at it. It's yeah. how do we get at it? I think it's the infrastructure that lays behind some of the systems and some of our bigger, wider, actually, NHS systems, um, as in demographic systems rather than just technology systems. Sorry, it's one word for everything, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, but it's how do you get at the data sometimes? Because trying to get it for the real time is sometimes difficult if you rely on somebody pulling reports, putting it into power bi or something like that but actually like say click of a button would be fantastic if we could pull our own reports from our own systems and i think that's a challenge that we have at the moment everywhere you look across the nhs and social services and wider everybody's on different systems everybody has a different infrastructure and i think that's what makes it difficult especially in the sharing of that data some of what you're doing in your area could affect my area, but I don't know about it because it's not shared unless it's a research paper. Um, and then that's something heavy that somebody has to go away and read and implement. Um, with the data quality, totally agree. My whole team at the moment are concentrating on data quality and reminding people the consequences of what they haven't put into a system. Don't expect to get out a report if you're not going to put the data in correctly. Um, even in some mandatory fields, they're trying to find workarounds on how to bypass them. And you're like, no. Um, and that's just for general regulatory reporting. That's not for care improvement or service improvement. So I don't think there's that understanding for, like say, the people on the shop floor of why they're using some of these systems. Um, I've picked that up recently in our area is looking at the NMC code of conduct and record keeping and it goes for the GMC as well, I should imagine. It's looking at, people think it's all on paper. That code actually goes to digital systems as well. And I, people haven't made that jump 
in their heads, I don't think. Um, and that's what we've been working to remind people in our area at the moment. You have that code of conduct. It doesn't just rely to that piece of paper you got in your hand. It's whatever you write about a patient has to cover that. Um, so, yeah, trying to get everybody on board to understand that at the moment is a big challenge. Um, but there are new nurse, there's new standards coming out soon for nursing documentation, new principles. So hopefully that will back us up with some of the evidence as well, because that's been created from NHSE nationally. Um, so hopefully that will support those NMC and GMC standards as well. Plus we've got PR, we've got so many standards, haven't we? But nobody knows about them. We've got the PRSB standards as well that people should be following. And it, I think it's making sure all our systems are compliant to all of these standards. And that's probably where people in my roles and CCIOs and that have that leverage, we can use them to make sure systems are configured appropriately. But then we also expect users to follow the systems properly. Um, so it's a twofold thing, really. Make sure the systems are under the standards and then make sure the users actually follow them. Um, I totally agree. And I would love to be able to do more around the predictive analytics, definitely with the big, big data stuff that's out there, population health. We could actually identify where to put services, where to target services. Um, we're looking at targeting elective patients at the moment and how can we move them around and get them into theatres at the right time. And that's using a bit of AI. Like you say, though, is the data there behind it in the background? That's my concern. Um, they're giving over these data sets and I'm like, mm, are they accurate? Did you check them first? So, but I think there's definitely more we can do with that. Um, over to you. <laughs> um, well, there were a few themes that you talked about there, Sam, that um, that really sort of resonated with me. And um, and and actually in, in some of them that I have, uh, you know, small, uh, uh, limited experience, but case studies almost sort of you know not on a large organization level but certainly from a disease single disease perspective um so one of these uh one of the themes that you mentioned is the interoperability of systems and um whilst you're talking about organizational um interoperability and being able to share patient data for example um a, a, a challenge that we've come across is the uh, interoperability of imaging uh um, devices. Uh, so, so at Moorfields, um, uh, one of the areas that I've been active in in terms of research in is in a disease called keratoconus. It's a very, it's a common um, disease that affects the sight of vision in young people. And uh, the the thing, the exciting thing that's happened in the uh, management of keratoconus is in, in the last couple of decades, we've been able to. Uh, not only identify it earlier, but also intervene with a treatment that halts the progression of the disease. And as keratoconus progresses, the uh, the eventual uh, management uh, it can lead to the need for a corneal transplant. And so now we can intervene earlier with a, a treatment called cro uh, corneal crosslinking, collagen crosslinking, which is essentially uh, some eye drops on the eye and flashing UV light on it. Sounds a bit hocus pocus, but you know, it stops us, stops patients from uh, progressing to need a corneal transplant and have uh, very poor vision. And so, uh, so you know, the, there's a special early keratoconus clinic at Moorfields Eye Hospital that's been set up for over 10 years now, uh, set up by uh, some of my mentors, um, uh, Dr. Dan Gore and Dr. Bruce Allen, uh, Prof. Tuft, amongst others. And um, 
and it's a great resource. You know, these patients have been coming in on six monthly reviews. We've got over a decade of longitudinal data. We've got their scans. So with that data and with the, um, uh, with the you know, working together with uh, data scientists, we've developed an algorithm where instead of monitoring, instead of reviewing patients every six months or so to see if they progress, we uh, we we have developed a model that tells tells us and the patient um, when on on the first presentation how likely they are to progress, and this is uh, I think a u- very useful tool. We're you know usually dealing with uh, teenagers, patients in their early twenties who are com- completely healthy in in, their, in the other aspects of their lives. And then suddenly to be faced with, you know, you have to have this really painful procedure. It's not going to make your vision any better. Your vision might be a little bit worse. Um, uh, and, you, you know, this is so that we can prevent something happening in the future. Sometimes these these odds that we give patients are just not tangible. And um, well, what we developed is, you know, a simple graph to say, look, at five years, this is what you look like. Okay, this is how likely you are to progress. And we don't want to wait until you progress to give you treatment because then we've lost the vision. Um, so so that's something that we developed. You know, it was great. We, we thought, you know, yes, uh, this is really going to help our patients. Um, but then a better scanner came along. <laughs> and so, um, you know, a, a scanner that offers more modalities, it, it gives us more rich information, um, a scanner with from which we can more easily extract the image to then plug that into machine learning, um, deep learning algorithms to improve our predictive abilities. And so, so we've lost really all of the the, the efforts that we've put in um, because it's not transferable because the the data, um, the algorithm only works for uh, the data that has only been validated um, using the, the data from the original scanner. And so, this is a, a real challenge, and um, and you know it's and with ophthalmology being a very image dense um, specialty, uh, there is a real recognition of what a problem this is, and um, and this has been recognised by you know the the American Academy of Ophthalmology, um, their National Research Institute there, and um, and the the. Uh, the lead there, uh, Dr. Michael Chang, was talking had been talking about this. So, so something that you know, lots of people are working towards, but 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 is something on a day to day basis we're still tackling with because we you know we we develop something that's in house that works for our population, our patients, and um, and it's it, you know it's it's could potentially have been very useful, but <laughs> um, but unfortunately its use is limited. The other thing that um, that Sam mentioned about standards, I think, is is really very important because I mean, regulation uh, in this area is obviously a huge area, um, and it's and it's not an area that I'm hugely familiar with. But it is so it is important, and it it does seem like you know regulation is trying to catch up, is trying to keep up um, instead of a knee jerk reaction, say let's let's not do digital for six months, <laughs> let 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 it, let it all catch up. I don't know. You heard um, in the news recently what what a number of um, you know global leaders were saying, but um, but it is an area also that I think the communications to the users of the systems um, where the, the communication is lacking, 
and it's the 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 messaging and the standards and those sorts of on the digital aspect it's is perhaps not filtering down and perhaps you know many of us are busy in our you know in in you know the 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 day-to-day work that we haven't got time to explore but it is important to really understand how the standards are moving so that um so that we apply it you know even if not the letter certainly the principle of what we're trying to do because you know data collection digitalization it's it is everywhere um in what we do and um you know i'd love to find out more about um how you try to implement that is um because you know clearly it's an important part of your role um is the chief information officer it is difficult and i agree with you it's about the communication of the principles rather than the stick and carrot type approach and i think it's everybody assumes that a registered nurse will understand the principles because it's there in mc code or a doctor understands because it's gmc code but if you've been in practice for a fair while, when was the last time anybody reread their codes of practice? So I think there needs to be constant reminders, to be honest. And that that's the start of the journey that I'm probably on of our organisation at the moment is to get that out. We've been doing it in maternity quite quite well at the moment and their data quality has actually improved in the last few months, which is really good. So now it's to tackle the general side as well. Um, it was trying to do cohorts so you could concentrate and target areas and that way we've got better buy-in. Um, can I can I just uh, ask you that how how are you measuring how are you assessing the quality of the data and how how did you measure the improvement in the data quality in the service? So this is why we chose maternity to start with because they have um, maternity dashboards already that they have to report up regionally, and some of the data that was going through was non-existent. Um, it couldn't be reported on because it wasn't in the system, despite the field being in the system. So the digital midwives are actually doing quality checks. So on a weekly basis, they're picking a random number of patients, going through it and having a look, along with the system admin people, to say, right, these fields have been missing, and then going back to the midwives and saying, why have you missed the fields? So we're taking it back to the users rather than just rectifying the issue ourselves um, because they're never going to know there's an issue otherwise. So we take it back to them and say, this is the importance of filling it in and the dashboards that are coming out have got better quality data on them and we've actually shown improvement in a lot of the areas um for example the number of um i'm not midwife so the number of c-sections that are coming through for example it makes more sense or the number of um baby to breast within the time frames it the numbers that are coming through make more sense um uh, like I said, I'm not a midwife, so I've got midwives that do this, um, which is really interesting. But just seeing the improvement, so I look at the dashboards and say, oh, that's actually getting better. So the percentages that are coming through are much better. So they have got some, I don't like to use the term KPIs, but we do use the dashboards for that. But we, I don't think we have anything specific in the general side, and that's part of the problem. Um, we have quality, quality um, teams that will look at things that are missing within your PAS or your EPR, but they're not clinical. So that's what I'm in the process of starting to work with them to say, how can we help on a clinical side along with the admin side? Um, So yeah, it's the start of the journey. It's going to be a long journey, I think. But because we're at the start of procurement for an EPR, healthcare record, we're trying to get some of that embedded now before we go to a big system, um, which could cause problems later on down the road. So 
uh, yeah, going to be interesting. Sure. Yes, and and it's um, I think now that with the experience that that Weibo had to then to move to a big EPI, there there's time and there's mm. um, there's learning, you know, reflection that can be had prior to taking that on. So that oh, you definitely. Can, you know, really maximize what you, what you can get out of the EPR. Yeah, we're pulling lessons learned from other areas that have already gone live. And right. we're going to be doing physics to them to see how they're utilizing it. And just to make sure we have got everything covered before we yeah. sign on a dotted line. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. Ma- yeah, so so I was um, involved in uh, the the rollout of the video consulta- video consultation mm. services uh, during covid and um and at moorfields under um the the digital lead there peter thomas had already been looking into this it was actually very timely yeah. that this the the system was rolled out quite quickly you know after lockdown um, but my interest at the time was um after it had been in place for a, for a couple of months to then to assess how safe the system was mm. and um and actually you know the 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 model that i use it sounds very similar to to the to the model that that you use to check on the quality and the the safety of the the data and you know we we manually um went back to the records and uh, see which patients came back and whether the virtual you know video uh triage was appropriate whether or pa- whether or not patient ca- patients came back it it does, you know. It, one of the challenges does seem to be how do you ensure the veracity of the data, and it, it's it's not a ideal system. Yeah. I think we don't really have a good solution at the moment for chat for doing that. No, it ends up going back to being manual. Yeah, yeah. So we do so all even, this digital, and then we have a manual process. For right, <laughs> exactly. And you know, and and some of our demographics data. I mean, I was really surprised to find you know we had. Um, we only had ethnicity for a, about half of our patients, you know, in, in the records, which is just astonishing to me. Um, and it's, you know, and I, I think I said, oh, well, why don't we start collecting this data? And, and there's a there's a NHS sort of spinal uh, or a central system where it's actually diff- it's not accessible to everybody, well, or, or the admin team to to amend. Um, so, uh, you know, there are definitely things that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ethnicity is one of the ones that we've picked up on as well, right, and de- yeah. and email addresses, users' email right. addresses. Yeah. So, because if we want to go virtual and we want to email things out or have them yes. join virtual clinics, yeah. we need their email addresses. Sure. But we haven't been collecting them either. So, yeah, that's been a big um, cleansing exercise. So. Yeah. Nice. Should we move on to the the next question? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sam, your question was around. Um, gap analysis. So you'd like to discuss how nurses slash midwives break into the informatics world. So gonna give us a bit of context. Yeah. So um sorry Olivia, I didn't realise you were a medical a doctor. That's okay. Uh, which is fine, but it, it's about females as well because sure, dig- yeah. digital is seen as a male dominated sector, isn't it? Um I know there's a lot more of us breaking into it at the moment, but that's the technology side of it. In my head, the clinical informatics side isn't necessarily the technologists. So like you say, it's using the data, it's making improvements in workflows and things like that. But it's not a known specialty, especially amongst nursing and midwifery AHPs level. 
it's from anecdotes and what I've seen out there, it's becoming more known with doctors um, with some of the uh, fellowships and that that are going on with AI fellowships and uh, Digital Academy and things like that. But nurses, as soon as you mention digital, they, they turn away and it's like, it's not me, don't do digital. Despite the fact they'll do home banking, home shopping and everything else on their phone. So it's how, and it's it's come up in some other networks that I've been on, and it's the question of how do we get nurses to understand that digital is part of everyday life in healthcare now. It, they will do things on iPads, they will do things on machines. If you see an ITU nurse and what they have to deal with, they are digital people. I'm sorry, I couldn't work in ITU. Too many bleeps going on um, and too many machines to keep your eye on. But they are digital and they're probably more technical than a lot of people. But they'll say they're not digital. You go and talk to them about a bit of software and they're like, no, I don't want to know. Um, so it's how do we breach that barrier? That One, it's not a male-dominated thing. And two, everybody in healthcare needs to be involved. So even if I take away nursing midwifery, it's everybody, really. Even admin staff need to be involved in digital. And it's part of that transformation thing. But it's the age-old question of how do we get people involved? And I don't know if you've got any experiences in that. It's... It's, I'm trying to collect everybody's experience. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a great question and uh, a real challenge. <laughs> and um, my feelings are that, you know, this isn't this isn't a challenge that's unique to the nursing community or the midwifery community. It, you know, it, it's actually a challenge to almost um, mankind because yeah. this is, you know, digital... Less so, you know, most people are okay with a phone, but um, but more the 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 artificial intelligence side of things. You know, that's you know every I when I first started uh, in researching into this area, um, you know, but that was only sort of three or four years ago. Um, I had colleagues coming up, you know, talking to me how, how oh how interesting, you know, what are you doing? But now everybody, you know, many people that I know, particularly in ophthalmology, because it it is quite a uh, it's it's a it's a good specialty for AI, I guess. Um, uh, people are definitely getting more on board, and um, but it but it has been called the the fourth industrial revolution, and in a way, you know, people have to be engaged and come on board, otherwise they'll they'll get left behind, and it's it's um, it is a, it is a leap, I think, um, and. Part of it is the framing and calling it digital. It may because ten years ago, perhaps a word, the word was less used and it seemed far away. And um, but but now, you know, we very much have to really be engaged and be on the journey and recognize that um, that we have to be a part of it. Otherwise, we'd be we'd be you know left behind. Um, so it's it is really exciting though and i and i think there are there are perhaps ways that um seeing seeing outcomes and seeing visual seeing the outputs of um what could be achieved with data can be uh can be empowering and certainly you know for for our patients the example that i gave of what we did it was it was definitely meaningful to the patients, um, and I think with uh, with um, the with within the medical profession, certainly you know um, you can you can see the benefit 
of uh, the data, even on a, on a personal level, you know, to be able to review your own uh, surgical outcomes, for example. And I'm sure there are ways that that can be applied to nursing where the data can be made um, more personal so that it, it rings true and is useful for the individual rather than uh, feeling that this is yet another way where they have to document. Um, and actually, one thing is the feeling that it makes their role more meaningful, more powerful. Uh, I think what we have been facing within some sectors, and certainly in ophthalmology, we're guilty of this, is duplication and often triplication. So you write it down and then you put it into a computer and then you click into another system and the same thing is manually transcribed over. And so then digital is perceived as a barrier and something that stops nurses from doing what they want to be doing, stops doctors from doing what they want to be doing. And I think those uh, those additional steps, and, and those are teething issues as we're trying to move to a new system. Um, but you don't want to get, you would want to get power through those difficult times more quickly instead of letting it drag on and um and i you know i have worked at trusts where one day it was that's it no more paper and of course it, it didn't work you can't just transition immediately and then so then we went back to paper and then it was the duplication and uh, i think those those are teething problems and it sounds like and and it, you know with certainly what you're it sounds like what you're doing sam is gathering the experience from other trusts and from individual services and putting that in place before you transition to a new system. I think all of that will help to smooth the journey to the next um, to the next stage. Mm. Which, Yeah, no, I agree with you, Olivia. I mean, a lot of what you said is true and it's about the ownership of that data. Mm. I think, like you say, it's making it real for the staff and getting them to own how they have to input so trying to show them right that's the data that's coming out you're inputting it there if you don't like the way it's inputting work with us right come, come and help develop the system things like that so yeah it, it, i think it's that it's that ownership part and the understanding of the outcomes and that's definitely what we need to work on um yeah because we're, we're finding within the informatics field especially within nursing there's a cohort of people that have probably been going back five ten years we need to start that um, succession planning and get people to come up behind us because otherwise people are going to retire and there's going to be nobody interested in developing new staff, new ideas coming through. And I think that's what we're a bit worried about at the moment um, across some of the networks. It's like, who's coming up behind? How do we get them interested? So, and I think it's doing a bit more of a multidisciplinary approach. So there's, there's some fellowships and that that are available for doctors dentists only not necessarily nurses but it's down to study leave potential it's down to funding potentials and I think it's just trying to get a bit of equality between some of that as well and getting nurses midwives AHPs to understand that they have got that they are allowed to go and do that learning they are allowed to put be a, put their hands up and step forward um, and I, I think the way we are within the NHS in specific at the moment with staffing across the patch everybody's a little bit worried about putting the hand up because staffing on the floor is dire and we've got enough political problems going on at the moment I'm not going to go into that um that nobody wants to step up so I think it's trying to make it exciting and make 
and tell them they don't need to ask permission. Yes, and 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 I think I think you yourself will be an excellent role model, being female, and uh, not only being female, but you know, taking an interest in leading, taking a leadership role in this. And I think organizationally, I haven't seen a chief nurse information officer in all trusts. You know, I, I'm, or maybe it's just my my lack of awareness, but but I. Um, but I think it's, uh, I do, it does feel to me though that the digital and the clinical informatics managerial leadership roles are growing in trust, which I, th- I think is the first step. And, um, and it is that the, the, and it is so important that, um, that the digital solutions are designed with the end user in mind. And you can't do that if the end user is not engaged in the process of the design. And, um, you know, so all clinicians, you know, nurses, midwives, doctors, I think it's important that we all are involved in each step of the journey so that um, this joint working, the collaborative working is is really important. And I think more collaboration also with the data scientists, because, you know, I'm not a coder and and I, but I, I, the team that I work with, you know, we we have a very good close working relationship, and um, and it's interesting because there are times when something seems very obvious to me clinically in terms of a clinical question or a way to look at something, and um, and their take on it um, is it would be very different, and uh, unless you. And and actually, those those sorts of details would have just been hidden in the model. And um, uh, unless you work very closely together, you communicate a lot, and you you know you work through from start to finish uh, together. I think those things that would have been missed, and um, and uh, it would be a shame. Um, and so, you know, I think the the development of roles such as research nurses, specialist nurses. I mean, that's been such a success story. And those are, I, I feel, quite aspirational roles, right? I think there are a lot of nurses want to become a specialist nurse or research nurse. And I think there's very much should be a def, you know, like doctors are applying for the digital fellowship. There should be very much a training system in place for the other, you know, other. Uh, team members of the NHS, you know, the bulk of whom I think are not doctors. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think we need to use the research because there is a plethora of research nurses and doctors out there now, but it's the research that they're doing. We need to use that to implement some of the technology and make sure it's included, the outcomes are included. And I, in some areas, we're probably a bit poor at that. We do a research, we get a paper. What's the recommendations? Do we implement those recommendations all the time? Um, and that's that's an interesting way to work. I was talking to some research people and they're like, well, I've done that, but it's sitting on the shelf. Let, let's get it into the practice. It's not just technology, but it may involve technology and in the workflows that we use and everything. So, yeah, I think there's definitely a, a synergy between research and digital um, in all the clinical practices that we should do. And we need to sort of work more collaboratively. And the data scientists, yes, I wouldn't know how to pull something out of the back of a system to get the answer. Like you, I know the question to ask, and it's great to get another another feel and another idea of how that question might be answered. Because um, I've done the same thing, and somebody's gone, "Do you mean this?" And I'm like, "Oh, actually, yeah, I might mean that, but not that." Um, and that's really interesting. So, 
Yeah, and I think we need more data scientists and clinical data scientists, maybe, so they've got that understanding. So I think there's a, a whole plethora of roles that nurses, doctors, that could move into, but are probably afraid of doing that, and coming away from the clinical bedside care. But sometimes you can do it as a joint role. So there's ways around things, and I think we need to explore that more. And I think the same applies for for, for medics too. I mean, mm. you know, I, it's something that I've been fortunate enough to uh, to to have to do, to be able to do. And you know, and now that my formal training has been completed, mm. so that I've been able to have a bit of a a bit of flexibility in doing the the digital innovation research side of things, as well as continuing with my clinical work. And um, and I think it provides a really nice balance. It, um, each side of the role gives you ideas, and I think it makes me a better, you know, being a clinician makes me a better researcher and an innovator, and and it makes me more enthusiastic to apply what yeah. I have developed into my clinical practice. So it's not just sitting there on the shelf. Um, yeah. You can see the outcomes. Exactly, and I think yeah. overall, then actually the system benefits much more um, from the work that that has been done. Yeah, definitely. Amazing. Thank you very much, guys. Before we end the podcast, I'd like to say thanks so much to all our guests for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation. Once again, our guests on today's panel have been Sam Neville, CNIO at Mid and South Essex NHS Foundation Trust, and Olivia Lai, Fellow in Cornea and External Eye Disease, Moorfields Eye Hospital, London. If you are hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or any of anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I am Ellie Fox and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at ellie.fox at evolution-contract.co.uk. Thanks again to all our guests and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.